Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to a very special edition of the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and there was no game this week to get frustrated over due to the bye, and hopefully the team takes this time to reset and play out the year in the manner that we were accustomed to in 2018, in the hopes that a mathematical chance can become a reality, and, well, it's a pipe dream. But at the very least, the back half of the year can perhaps be the yardstick for what will hopefully be a better 2020 season. Well, I mentioned that this will be a special edition of the Demonland podcast because in just a moment, we'll be joined by former Demon captain David Neitz to talk about his stellar career at the D's, which earned him a slew of personal achievements. And we'll also get his thoughts on the current crop of players and the team going forward. After the break, I'll be joined by my co-host, Great Viney, and the great David Neitz. Kicks inside the 50. Guess who? Neitz. The bounce beats him. Miller's a chance at the back. Lays the shepherd. Neitz from a long way. Curling ball. Right through the middle. Spears the pass to Neitz. It was too hot. McKay. You beauty indeed. Our guest tonight uh, could do it all. After making his debut in 1993, he quickly developed into one of the game's leading defenders before moving forward where he surpassed the great Norm Smith to become the club's number one all-time goal kicker. He also has the honour of being the club's game's record holder. He was MFC captain from 2000 to 2008, also a club record. He won the Coleman Medal and a Bluey Truscott Trophy in 2002 and was twice All-Australian in 95 and 02. In May last year, he was inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame. Welcome to Demonland Podcast, David Neitz. Thank you very much, Andy. Pleasure to be here. Now, uh, Nita, you began your career as a forward and kicked six goals in just your sixth game. Uh, You were then moved to centre-half back and played on some of the game's premier forwards. One of those forwards, perhaps the greatest of all, Wayne Carey, nominated you alongside Glenn Jakovic as the toughest opponent he played against. How does an honour like that stack up against some of the other achievements that we mentioned earlier? Yeah, look, it was uh, it's an, always an interesting start. It's um, you're at nervous times at the start of your footy career, and um, I was playing alongside Glenn's brother, Alan, uh, in the early days in the forward pocket next to Alan Jakovic, and that was uh, an interesting experience. <laughs> Being uh, told to get out of his space, <laughs> move to the boundary line, but. Um, but that Presumably was yeah, probably the, probably the first um, I don't know six to eight games I guess I played up forward managed to slot a few in um, in one game but other than that it was it was fairly fairly quiet um, and yeah Neil Barm threw me threw me into defence um, and it, it proved really uh, a really good breed um, you know I suppose learning ground for me if you like and and playing on some of the games greats um, you know Stephen. Kernahan, Stewie Lowe, um, and and Wayne Carey as well. So uh, a great opportunity, as it turns out, uh, as a learning experience. Given that I played most of my time beyond that up forward, 
Um, but certainly to play play against Wayne Carey and, and to have some some really solid battles over the journey uh, and to come out on top on a few of those was uh, was nice. And uh, and and you know Wayne uh, speaking highly of me was yeah well, something I'm quite proud of indeed. Uh, Nita, what was the impetus for the move up forward, given that you were going um, such great guns in defence? And um, where, where, where was your preference to play? Because you, you'd be one of the few people who um, got selected for All-Australian, really, at, at either, either either ends of the ground. Sorry. Yeah, Jase, it, uh, it was necessity in the, in the end. Um, uh, we had... You know, we had probably the nucleus of a pretty good spine um, there with with Gary Lyon sitting at full forward, the big ox at centre half forward, slot me in at um, at centre half back, and we had a few people roaming at full full back. I think Sean White for a little while um, in those earlier stages of, of my career. So we had, we had what was a pretty good spine, but then um, you know Gary went down with all of his back injuries. Uh, the big ox went down with his knee. So, um, so I guess that 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 sort of was yeah, out of necessity. So I ended up playing. You know, we weren't playing that well. I'd be find myself as a defender if we were going okay and getting it forward. I'd find myself as a forward and just um, just being that playing that swing man role, uh, which has probably come back into vogue uh, a, a bit more in recent times. But um, but yeah, I found myself doing that for probably about five years. I reckon. Uh, you played alongside some quality forwards at your time at the D's, uh, Jakovic, Lyon, Schwartz, Farmer, Green and Robertson, just to name a few. Uh, who was the best of the bunch? That's going to get me into some trouble. <laughs> you can name all of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, Especially if Jakovic is listening. Coming out of this alive. <laughs> uh, look, look they're, all, uh, they're all very different players, you know, but... Um, but um, Obviously, grew up, grew up with the Ox uh, from from early early stages, and and probably got to see see him more as a centre half back when he was at his at his height. But um, but watching him just just sort of across half back line, looking up and seeing the big Ox presenting, kicking it anywhere really in his vicinity, uh, whether it was, the kick was good, bad, or indifferent, he'd somehow find a way to, to, to grab hold of it and, and, and make an impact. And and he was probably the most awesome um, and devastating player that I'd played with at that particular point in time. Um, there wasn't that much that he couldn't do, I don't think. So so that, that, that sheer brilliance would probably stand him, stand him Above everyone, but I, 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 you know, someone like Gary Lyon, who, his leadership qualities are amazing. And I, I spoke to Gary relatively recently and said, you know, we've got Bontempelli and Cripps and all these guys playing as forwards. Oh, sorry, playing as midfielders. He probably should have been doing that because, um, you know, he was obviously a great forward, but he could swing into the midfield and be damaging in that in that role as well. So um, uh, and and look, uh, I'll keep keep talking, I suppose, about you know the wizard Jeff Farmer and his electrifying abilities were just uh, phenomenal. And then um, you know someone like Russell Robertson, who who really you look at him and and he's he's probably a small midfielder these days, but he held down centre half forward 
uh, for such a long time and through a really good period for the Demons and, and you know, managed to kick 40, 50 goals a year on a consistent basis. So, um, so I've been pretty lucky with some of the teammates I played alongside with, and uh, that's for sure. And, and and Brad Green as well, you know, he could sort of do do everything, sort of, you know, played forward early in his career, through the midfield on the wing, sliding back into defence, uh, such a great reader of the game. So, um, no, I feel quite lucky to have played with the players I played with. Do you think if Schwarter hadn't gone down with all those knee injuries, we'd be talking about him, or not us because we love him so much, but do you think the rest of the AFL community would be talking about him, uh, about the way they talk about Wayne Carey? Oh, it's it's it's. I think it's um, more probable than not probable. You know, if you do the if if buts and maybes, but yeah. but at that particular time, I think the um, what was it the the end, end of the uh, ninety four season, yep. um, particularly that final series. You know, he'd ta- he'd take fifteen marks, kick five goals, and send a half forward, and, and um, you know, on a on a regular basis towards the back end of that year, it was just. Unbelievable! You don't, you don't, just don't see those kind of stats. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think if he was able to continue on um, unencumbered, um, uh, I, I think it's, it's it's quite probable that, that that's exactly what we'd be talking about. But um, but look, it didn't it didn't quite happen. But for him, then then he came back after three recos and. Um, <laughs> what did he? What did he say? I think, I think he said he used he used to have a turning circle of a Ferrari, then it was a turning circle of a tugboat or something like that <laughs> when he came back. But, but you know, he managed to still win a, an Melbourne Footy Club Best and Fairest after the three Ricos, and um, and I suppose that that's sort of testament to his his footy smarts and just his um, his ability to just find a way and, and his love for the game. So. Um, so no, it could have could have been a much greater story, but I think he still had a pretty a pretty impressive story um, that he was able to put out there on the park. That's right, um, Nita. I didn't have this question in my notes, but the the current football department isn't going with a two ruckman game plan. And yep. uh, on our website, uh, many of the users are lamenting the fact that we're struggling up forward with form and and some injuries. And Jason will be asking you specific questions about that later. But my question relates to when Maxi is resting, and we've been doing this for the past couple of years, and we're taking one of the tall forwards out of their position as a relief ruck, uh, leaving our tall forward stocks quite bare. Uh, what are your thoughts on that strategy? Uh, would you go with two rucks? Uh, is there room for two rucks in the modern game? Um, I don't really remember you doing much rucking outside the forward line, but then again, you probably played in an era uh, that had two ruckmen. Uh, yeah, yeah, we uh, we well, we did. We had Jeff White playing his ruck, and he didn't. It was also the era when people didn't rotate and those types of things. So, and Jeff actually he rucked all day. Yeah, and it was it was it was it was hard work keeping the second ruckman. You know, you had Dar- Darren Jolly who left us, Troy Simmons who left us, yeah. um, because it, it just wasn't wasn't quite the done thing back in the day to have um, to get much game time for that second ruckman. But but look, I, I suppose more when, we, when we're talking about what's going on at the moment, I I probably find it, it it's a bit difficult if you have um, if you have you know uh, Wiedemann, Tommy McDonald, um, uh, then just try and squeeze Prusin in and Gorney. It makes that a little bit a little bit difficult. Um, too top heavy. Just, just 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 that forward line pressure um, is is so important these days that when the ball hits the deck, you've got to be able to pressure. 
I would uh, I, I, I think it's hard to hard to play two rucks in the one in the one team and it's probably it's probably the way of the of the modern era is to have that um, forward ruckman and a really really solid option as a forward option uh, forward ruckman that can come in and uh, and give Maxi some relief. Uh, Nita, Essendon were almost unbeaten going into the 2000 grand final. Did you rate us any chance um, leading up to that? We did. Absolutely, absolutely we did. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the 2000 season, we were a pretty, pretty uh, young team, really. Uh, we had all the retirements. Um, you know, we had you know, Todd Biney and Jim Steins and Gary Lyon and all those guys sort of between 98 and 2000, all that happened. And we had, uh, you know, a stack of young young blood coming through and, and Brucey and Greeny were the two sort of key key guys, I, I guess, and most most memorable from, from that era. But, um, but no, we, we got on a bit of a roll and we were playing some really good footy, exciting brand of footy. So we did. We, we, we thought we were, we were a big chance. Um, but, yeah, as it turns out, you know, when you, when you uh, win just about every game of the year, you only drop one. There's a, there's a reason for that, and they were uh, red hot that that season, the, the Bombers. So um, as it turns out, it was too much of a task. But but no, certainly going in, you give yourself all the reasons that you can win it, what what you've got to do, and why you can why you can beat them. We I think earlier in the year we we'd been relatively cl- close, only within a few goals. So you think a few things go go your way, um, you, you might be able to make a fist of it, but. Uh, but no, they didn't go our way, and uh, it, was, it was a devastating result. Uh, you took uh, the second equal most contested marks in a grand final in that uh, that game, uh, which is a considerable feat. Uh, Essendon were very physical with us earlier in the game. Uh, there was the incident with Troy Simmons and the one with Brad Green where he sort of got roughed up by a couple of players. Did we do enough to respond to the pressure and physicality, or, or did Essendon just overwhelm us uh, on the day? Look, I, I think I think it was um, there. Were, there was a little bit of there was a little bit of that. Um, um, I, I I tend to think that they were probably just too good of a team for us on the day, um, and and perhaps their their the, the mental side of their game and the edge the, the mental edge. We were, I guess we were probably we were going into the game on the, on the back of a lot of wins in a row, a lot of excitement and, and maybe a bit more hope. And I think potentially with the Bombers having been in finals for a few years, probably missed out on getting what they thought they deserved the year before. Um, and and it's more of a mental hardness that I think that they might have had the edge over us than necessarily a physical one. Um, yeah. Even though obviously the, the Michael Long, particularly the Michael Long and Brad Green incidents, that's more of a physical side of things. But I think it was more of a mental um, edge rather than a physical edge that they that they had over us on the day. Uh, supporters often talk about 1998 as being the one that got away, um, with the exception of the granny that you played in. Did you think we could have snagged a flag in any of the other years that you played? Yeah, look, look, I, I, I sort of, I tend to, tend to sort of agree with that. There's a few, a few of my teammates think that uh, you know, also back in '94 was was perhaps one yeah. <clears throat> where we where we were a chance. And, and as I was talking earlier with the Ox on fire, um, Gaza Lion playing playing well, we had a we had the nucleus of a of a pretty good uh, emerging. Emerging team, I suppose, at that particular point in time. 
Uh, but I, I, I'm with you. I, I tend to look at uh, 98 and think of the experience, the mix of experience and um, and sort of emerging guys coming through. That 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 might have been the one where we where we could have given it a, a shake. And um, um, unfortunately, North Melbourne on a Friday night under lights, uh, bloody Corey McKernan, I think would probably. I reckon it's just about the best game I've seen him play. Um, but where we just we, we what are we for a couple three goals short or something um, that that night that we were right in the right in the thick of it in that in that uh, in that prelim final um, and then Adelaide going to win it who we of course beat relatively comfortably earlier on in that final series so uh, yes but it's a story you got to get there to be able to win one and we uh, we couldn't get past North to to do that. Uh, Nita, you were coached for the majority of your career by the great Neil Danaher and formed a very close bond with him. Can you tell us a little bit about that relationship and what Danaher's meant to you and to the club? Yeah, look, look he was, um, I think he was fantastic when he came into the club. He um, he took us back to school and was um, uh, very clear on the way he thought the game should be played. Um, and he spent a hell of a lot of time just going through a whole range of different detail um, on game style and also um, j- just sort of some footy smart educational type things. Uh, invited some of the some of the um, senior players. You know, we had Brett Lovett and Gary Lyon, Todd Viney, Jim Steins to all engage with that process about about um, just the thoughts on the game. So that was a that was a really important start, I think, for him. Um, and early days, he was very intense, <laughs> potentially a little bit too intense. And um, but but he he sort of he sort of came to us with a with a real clear view um, on on what his expectations were. So um, so I thought that was that was fantastic for our group. Um, and then and then um, as things grew. You know, for, between him and I, I, I got to see through some ups and downs and tri- trials and tribulations of um, what was it, ten years coaching at the at the club, and and obviously playing in a senior role alongside him. You get to see um, close hand some of the stresses and pressures that AFL coaches are under, um, and the way that he handled it, and even the team and the team was under pressure. He was quite good at absorbing that that. Um, um, I guess if there was any uh, criticism and things like that of the playing group, he was quite good at being able to absorb that himself, protect his boys, um, and then let us get on with the job of trying to play footy and trying to get better as a as a team and as a group. So, um, yeah, we, his resilience is certainly something that, that shone through. Um, and then I guess you know he, he moved he moved on and you, and you retire and um, and and. We sort of developed, kept on developing the relationship as mates um, after footy, but um, and we're still obviously doing that at the moment. We know his time is going to be cut short, but we're still catching up and and when we can and having a laugh and uh, and a red wine and a few beers and those types of things uh, still to this day. Must be hard for you to see see him now. Um, I mean, it's such a great thing what he's doing with the awareness for you know fight MMD. Uh, but it must be hard to sort of see him um, the way he is now. Um... Yeah, look, we we um, we he doesn't like to to dwell on that too no. much, Neil, as we all know. Um, 
but but look, it is it is it's um, it's a devastating disease, and it's um, uh, it's 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 a shocking thing for anyone who has to go through it, and for Neil and his family, and uh, Jan and his kids. Um, it's it's really hard work, uh, but. But all we do is enjoy the time that we've gotten, um, and, and whenever we catch up, we make sure we have a great time, um, and 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 suck the most out of life that we can. And that's um, that's certainly something that he has absolute belief in in, in doing, and um, and that's what we'll continue to do. As he mentioned in his uh, speech to the uh, boys this year, he certainly likes uh, telling a story. Still, um, that's for sure. Uh, Nita, we mentioned the very long uh, list of accomplishments that you've achieved uh, across your career, culminating last year in your induction into the AFL's uh, Hall of Fame. That must have been a tremendous honour for you. Um, but I, I'm assuming you'd trade all that in to have uh, to have had a flag under your belt. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, no, no doubt about it. You know, we um, uh, it, it was a great recognition and I, and I guess that's what it that's what it is and it's lovely that the AFL and and, and the um, Hall of Fame uh, committee sort of look at your career and, and give you that recognition so obviously very grateful for that but um, but it's not what you play for you don't you don't start your career saying gee I can't wait to be announced at the Hall of Fame dinner yeah. <laughs> you know it's uh, you see yourself on the dais holding up the Premiership Cup or getting the getting the medallion um, across your neck uh, and all the, the hard sweat and tears and training and all those things that you do, that's what you do it for. Um, so, but no, unfortunately that wasn't, that wasn't my journey, but, um, but look, I, obviously our demons are at the moment are uh, having the year that they want to have, but, um, but certainly that, that opportunity is right there staring our boys in the face Um over the next few years, so uh, so that's what we want to see. We want to see those boys get up there and and, and achieve the things that I wasn't able to. Uh, Nita, amongst supporters, uh, one of uh, the favourite uh, highlights from your career came against the Hawks in round one of 2002 when you knocked Luke McCabe into next week before gathering the ball and kicking truly. Uh, what are some of your favourite memories uh, from your long uh, career? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, well, that was an interesting one. That that one um, it came at a, came at a time for me when um, I guess 2000 we played the grand final, or 2001 we didn't respond that well, and that year didn't make the finals. So 2002, uh, so the 2000 end of 2001. Uh, and that pre-season, 2001, 2002, probably a lot of reflection for myself as a, as a young captain, I guess, at that time, uh, as to what I wanted to do and how I was going to respond as a leader. Um, and while that wasn't necessarily the response, it was a, it was a, it was a nice start for me in, in that year and, and, and probably helped me to put a stamp on my leadership at the footy club so so it was a it was an interesting moment although i have caught up with luke mccabe since and he's had enough <laughs> he said can you tell those demons <laughs> to stop playing that footage i've had enough of that but, um, so he's but it, he's was, it was a, it was an interesting it was an interesting um moment but but there's lots of there's lots of different moments um throughout throughout seasons um you know I remember what was it? Probably, probably a couple of years later, we'd played against Richmond. Might have been around 
two. We, I think we got beaten convincingly in round one, but it was 2004, I think. And we, the, the footy world came down on our footy, on our club, uh, on the players, on the coach um, after a round one loss. And, and we, we came against the Tigers and I managed to kick kick nine. We had a great win and got our season back on track. And, and it was a round two win at the end of the day. So probably not don't think about it too much. But but for me and the group at the time, it was, uh, it was a really important moment. So, you know, I sort of think about some of those games that might be, you know, insignificant in some ways, but um, but they yep. sort of stay in your mind. Uh, post your playing career, you were appointed to a position uh, on the AFL Tribunal. What do you make of the current uh, MRP process and the perceived inconsistencies that many supporters accuse the current system of? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm sitting on the tribunal, so I can't really oh. uh, say say too much about it. But look, what I what I will say is that um, is that you get to the tribunal. Um, it's a t- it's a tough job to start off with, uh, and there's and there's interpret involves interpretation as much as um, as much as there's the guidelines that are there, and they try and sort of make things as clear as possible. You know, something something like the degree of force. Um, one person might see it as low, another person sees it as high, um, and when, by the time it gets to a tribunal, there's three. A panel of three, um, and not everyone has the same view on on certain actions. So you, you end up getting a lot of great and interesting debate. Um, I, I know that there's some decisions that um, you play out in the media that, that there's a lot of conversations that happen in the media that happen at the tribunal while the while the panel are discussing the pros and cons of um, of a certain decision. So. Um, all of that is taken into account, but, um, but at the end of the day, it's a human process, uh, and some people will agree and some people will disagree, and it's it's hard to take that out of the out of the, the equation. Yeah, and look, we just should clarify: uh, we weren't criticising your decisions, <laughs> which are always fair <laughs> and balanced and reasoned. It's everybody else we've got an issue with. So. And the ones that uh, that weren't right, it was I voted the other way anyway. There was the other, there was the other exactly. two. <laughs> uh, Nada, just got a couple more for you. We're very grateful for your time uh, today. Um, you also spent some time as a part-time assistant coach uh, at the Hawks. Um, are your coaching days behind you, or could we? Coax you back to the D's uh, to assist with the current woes in the forward line and with what Simon Goodwin calls out "quote unquote" connection. <laughs> yeah, no, we have had a couple of uh, connection issues. We've got a, well, a few different issues going on at the moment, but um, but that the time at the Hawks was um, was really interesting. Uh, obviously, spend a little bit of time with Clarko as a as a player, as a teammate. Um, but spending a bit of time with him um, in that sort of assistant coach uh, position was quite fascinating to see how he views the game and, and, and looks at the game. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was, a, as I said, it was a part-time role um, so that, you know, I just didn't have the time commitment for it. But, um, but look, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, at the same token, I, I, uh, it didn't inspire me to... Um, to go on and, um, and 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 sort of try to com- commit myself full time as a coach, and, and and my view on that is um, 
is if if I felt like I wanted to try and become a senior coach, then I'd take up coaching in a more serious way. And if I didn't, then I then I wouldn't. So um, so I don't don't see myself being a senior coach. So therefore, I'm 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 out of the whole coaching uh, equation. Yep. Fair enough. Look, we'll um, uh, we'll pick your expertise uh, anyway what do you perceive as being uh, the problems up forward um, and how can they be fixed and I guess part two to that is and you were a beautiful set shot on goal uh, what can we overdo uh, what can we do to overcome the uh, the horrible yips that uh, seems to have struck the boys this season yeah it's, it's, the, the forward connection one is, is is a difficult one it's it's um I think it's just a whole range of different things. Um, uh, mid, midfield decision making, there's starting position um, things that, that that go into that as well. Uh, but it's a little bit difficult uh, when you don't really really sit inside the walls and understand what Simon's trying to trying to do with our guys. Yep. But but look, I think I think there's um, there's probably uh, a little bit of um, knowing when to go fast and when to go slow. Our decision making up the ground. On that, I think we're still evolving in that. Sometimes we go slow when we should go fast, and other times we go fast when we should go slow. So, um, yep. you know, it's, it's not. Uh, I don't think it necessarily comes overnight, but we'll get better at those decisions. Um, and then, and then, when you're comfortable with the with the decision making of it, I think the skill execution part um, starts to come naturally. You know, you're a bit clear, more clear minded about what your what your decision is, and then it's easier to execute the skill. Um, and then goal kicking. I mean, uh, my view is just get in front of the goals and, and practice routine and, um, and and just keep keep out of the training. But I know it's a bit more difficult these days with the um, the way that the sports science guys get involved. But um, but certainly for me, it was because I wasn't necessarily the greatest kicking goal, particularly early. But um, but it's just repetition, get in front of the practice the routine and. Um, uh, and, and put the hours in. That's that, that, that's the key. Yeah. Um, some very sad news recently with the tragic passing of Anna Green, uh, wife to your teammate and fellow D's captain Brad. Uh, how is Greeny going? And uh, are you and the boys able to help him in what must be a really difficult time for him? Yeah. Look, oh, just a, just a, sh- a shocking, a shock to start off with, and, and just just terrible, really, with. Um, you know, two young boys. Um, so there's there's going to be some difficult times for, for Brad, uh, absolutely. Uh, but but he he's been amazingly stoic and um, he's obviously thinking a lot about his boys and trying to make them uh, as comfortable as possible and, and keep things running along as smoothly as possible for them. But um, but they're all gonna they're all gonna have some hard times. And I guess one of the one of the thing one of the positive things about being involved in a footy club um, or in a in whatever community that you're involved with is that people do rally around you. Uh, and he's got a great, great um, friendship group uh, from Tassie. Uh, there's their school community uh, and our and Brad's friends around there. And obviously the footy club have all rallied around. So uh, everyone is doing as much as they can. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, a terrible shock. And she was such, just such a, lovely person uh, it was quite devastating uh, Nita we'll finish on a on a happier note um, uh, you've been involved in a new venture uh, these past few years uh, Brewmanity tell us a bit about that and in particular uh, the partnership that you have with the MFC for the 2019 edition beer 
Absolutely, no, Brew Manity. Uh, we have we we kicked off in 2015. So um, we we started off um, initially with a mate of mine who worked at CUB for quite some time, and we'd been kicking around the idea of doing a beer. Um, and when Neil Danaher was talking about doing some fundraising for MND, we thought, well, let's get out there and put this idea of doing a beer out there and try and do some fundraising. Um, so we did, and that's sort of now continued on and grown and developed over the past three years. So we've raised probably about 250000 for that, and a little, bit of, um, a little bit of every sale we make goes back to the, to the foundation, which has been a great thing. Um, and yes, we've collaborated with the Demons for the Demon Brew, which is which is super exciting. Um, uh, it, it, it's a essentially it's a fundraiser for the footy club. So um, for a small little company like us, it's um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to be sponsoring a footy club. It's something that we can't really afford to do. But um, but the the club said, well, how about we try and do it as a fundraiser and, and raise some funds. For the club and, and everyone can have a have a really good beer along the way. So um, um, I think initially we were hoping we were going to be having the beer in in celebration, and that we might be doing a bit more drowning of ourselves, <laughs> it looks like. But hopefully, the second half of the season we can be get a bit more excited, and uh, and we can celebrate with a couple of demon brews rather than commiserate. Well, I've purchased my two cases of the 2019 edition, and but I'm hoping I can crack open the 2020 edition, celebrating a flag. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> my word. Well, uh, Nita, we want to thank you for joining us on the Demonland podcast tonight. We really appreciate you giving your time to us and, and thank you for all, all the joy you brought supporters over the years. Many of us haven't experienced the ultimate glory, but we've been blessed with some amazing talented footballers over the years and you certainly are one of those that sit alongside the great demons of our generation, such as Robbie Flower and Jimmy Steins. Thank you very much, Nita. Oh, thanks, Andy and Jason. Pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. Well, that was demon legend David Neitz. We'll be back next week to hopefully discuss a win over the Dockers in a match that will see former demon Jesse Hogan return to the MCG to face his old club. We'll also be joined on the next Demonland podcast by former demon Rodney Grinter to have a chat about his playing career and also the work that he does now as chairman of the Melbourne Football Club Past and Present Players and Officials Association. If you're listening to this show at your leisure via SoundCloud on demonland.com or via Apple or an Android podcasting app, be sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive updates when a new show drops. Don't forget to leave us a favourable review to help more people find us. We're also on Spotify now, so you can get the show that way too. Go to demonland.com to find the links to your preferred method of listening. You can follow us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash demonland31, on Twitter at demonland, on Instagram at demonland31, or on YouTube, just search for Demonland Podcast, and you can listen to some of the interviews that we've conducted with current and past players and coaches, just like the one we did with Nita tonight. Or if you just love talking about the D's 24-7 all year round, why not join up to demonland.com and chat with other D's fans about this great club. Go Demons!